Welcome to Kings River Life's Mystery Rats Maze podcast, where we share with you mystery short stories and first chapters of mystery novels read by local actors. Now, this episode features the Christmas mystery short story, Dog's Only Son, by Neil Plaxy. It's read by local actor Thomas Nance. Dog's Only Son was published in the anthology A Litter of Golden Mysteries in May of 2020. I often say that my dog is the reason I get up every morning, early every morning. Rochester doesn't care what time it is. Even on Christmas morning, he woke me shortly after sunrise. I groaned and grumbled as Lily turned over and went back to sleep. I stumbled into a pair of sweatpants, a long sleeve sweatshirt, and fleece vest. I tucked a couple of plastic bags and my keys into one of the zippered pockets, grabbed Rochester's leash, and we were off. The 38-degree temperature hit me like a slap in the face as I opened the front door. Didn't seem to bother Rochester. He has a two-layer fur coat with air pockets in between to keep him cool in the summer and warm in winter. He trotted down our street, Sarajevo Court, stopping periodically to sniff and pee as we made our way toward the far end of our gated community. Rochester did his business a block before the guardhouse, and I picked it up, welcoming the warmth through the thin layer of plastic grocery bag. I immediately tugged him toward one of the doggy waste receptacles along Riverbend Way, the community's main street. These are circular green metal cans the size of a small wastebasket with flap-down metal lid and a dispenser of small waste bags beneath it. I opened the lid, as usual, and was about to drop the poop inside when I saw a tiny baby staring back at me. Oi, Gavalt! I said, in the language my people had used for generations at something that had surprised them. I dropped the bag of poop on the ground and let go of Rochester's leash. I told him to sit, and he did, staring upward expectantly at the trash can. I reached down into the can with my gloved hands and lifted out a baby who couldn't have been more than a few days old. He was wrapped in a soft blue blanket decorated with building blocks. And when I held his face up to my head, it was cold to the touch. I quickly bundled him into my vest, close to my chest, and zipped the vest. The blanket was thin and torn at one corner, certainly not enough to keep him warm on such a cold day. Who could do something like this? I asked Rochester as I bent down and grabbed his leash. Who'd throw away a child like a bag of garbage? He didn't answer, but tugged me forward to the guard gate along Riverbend Way. I had a complicated history when it came to offspring. My ex-wife had miscarried twice while we were married and I felt the loss of those two little ones almost as much as she did. The miscarriages caused us both to do things we shouldn't have, and that led to our divorce. I moved awkwardly 
holding the leash with one hand and cradling the other over the baby. As I reached the gatehouse, the guard was inside behind a glass door talking on the phone. Call 911, I yelled. Emergency! I opened the zipper a bit to show him the baby inside my vest, and he ended his call and opened the sliding door to let me into the warm room. Rochester crowded in behind me and sat in the corner, his eyes on me. Where did you find this little one? the guard asked after we'd called for an ambulance. He was a Hispanic guy in his early twenties, with slick back, dark hair, and a face spangled with acne scars. He looked down at the baby and grabbed a woolen hat that was way too big, but he snuggled it over the boy's bald head. The green can about a block further in from here, I said, and I started shivering. It wasn't the cold. The tiny booth was overheated. It was realizing that if we'd slept in that morning or Rochester had pooped in a different area, we might never have found this infant and he might have died from the cold. I stood back against the wall as the guard checked IDs for a couple of cars and thought of the question I should have been asking all along. Where did this baby come from? One of my neighbors? The ambulance zoomed in from Ferry Street, and I hurried outside to flag it into the single parking spot in front of the guardhouse. The young female EMT jumped out of the ambulance. You reported a baby? I opened my vest and handed the baby to the young woman. He was warmer by then and sneezed once. He's adorable. She clambered into the back of the ambulance with the baby, and the driver came over to speak to me. Your baby? he asked. I shook my head. I, I found him in a trash can. Now that I'd handed the boy over to someone who could help him, I was able to let go of the fear and emotion I held inside and started to cry. Who would do such a thing? It's good you found him. I'm going to need your information to pass on to the police. Sure, I said. Rochester licked my hand as I gave the EMT my name, address, and phone number. Then the girl called and told him they needed to get moving, and he jumped in and drove away. I felt strangely unsettled as I walked back to Sarajevo Way. I'd done something good that morning, I knew, but the horror of the circumstances made me feel terrible. When I got back to the house, I poured some kibbles into Rochester's bowl and climbed the stairs, desperate to share my pain with Lily. She was still asleep, though, and so I did the next best thing. I stripped down and slid under the covers, cuddling her and let sleep take me away from my unhappiness. We both woke around ten, and I told Lily what had happened, and she pulled me close and let me rest my head against her chest. Oh, Steve, she said. But the baby was all right when you handed him off to the ambulance. He was. Later I'll call the hospital and check on him.
Around noon, my friend Rick Stemper called me. He and I had been acquaintances during our senior year at Pensbury High, and since my return home, he had become my closest friend. He was one of two detectives with the Stewart's Crossing Police Department. Thanks for pulling me into work on Christmas Day, he said. At least this is a change. Instead of a dead body, you found a living one. In a trash can, I said, and once again I started to shiver with the import of the morning's activities. I'm on my way over, he said. He brought Rascal, his Australian shepherd, and while Rochester and his friend romped around the house, tearing up and down the staircase and wrestling with each other, Rick and I sat at my kitchen table with cups of hot tea, and I told him exactly what had happened that morning. You didn't see anybody nearby? I shook my head. You think the mother was watching to see if someone picked up the baby? No idea. Just covering all the bases. I'll be making inquiries, local women's health clinics, high schools in case the mother's a teen. Well, what will happen if you find the mother? Pennsylvania. Child abandonment is first-degree misdemeanor. If the mother, uh, assuming that's who left the baby, is found guilty, she can serve up to five years in prison and pay a $10,000 fine. He shook his head. All she had to do was drop the baby at a recognized location. No questions asked. What happens to the baby now? If we can find a family member, uh, he'll go there. If not, into the foster care system. Generally speaking, uh, he'll be available for adoption in a year if no family member surfaces. He looked at me. You're not considering adopting this baby, are you? I realized I'd never even considered that. And I shook my head. I'm too old to be a first-time dad. I just want what's best for him. Do you know how he's doing? Apparently very well, he said. I spoke to a nurse at the hospital before I came here. He's very lucky you found him when you did. Well, I hope that luck carries him forward, I said. I was restless that afternoon and finally gave in and took Rochester for a long walk. It had warmed up by then. He was eager to pull me along Riverbend Way, not even stopping at the trash can where we'd found the baby. Instead, he kept going out to Ferry Road. The entrance to Riverbend was surrounded on two sides by a nature preserve, and there was an erratic pattern of fences and hedges along the boundary of the community. Rochester wanted to turn right toward the river, I didn't know what he was looking for, but my golden retriever has a nose for crime, so I gave him his head and enjoyed the crisp, sunny afternoon as much as I could. Suddenly, he stopped along a section of the dark green cypress with sticky, aromatic branches. I noticed a shred of fabric in one of the branches and realized that it matched the blanket the baby boy had been wrapped in. I pulled out my phone, my hands shivering once again, and called Rick. 
chilly standing there waiting for him in a crime scene tech. So Rochester and I patrolled the hedge, looking for any other evidence. By the time Rick arrived, I was pretty sure that whoever brought the baby to Riverbend had come in through that place in the hedge. The tech, a young blonde in her late twenties, took photos and clipped the branch, sliding it into a paper evidence bag. Did you lift any prints or DNA from the baby's skin or the blanket? I asked Rick as we watched. No prints. Whoever handled the baby wore gloves like you did. I sent the blanket off to be tested, but I doubt we'll get much. If we find a woman who we believe is the mother, we can do a DNA test. I had an idea that someone had brought the newborn into Riverbend through the cypress hedge early on Christmas morning. But who? Why? When I got back to the house, Lily was at her laptop at the kitchen table. I'm asking people on High Neighbor if they know anyone in the area who is about to deliver, she said. High Neighbor was a website for sharing neighborhood information, and you had to register with a street address within the parameters the site established. That meant not only Riverbend, but some of the other neighborhoods around us. That's good, because I, I think the mother lived here. I told her what we had found. I wonder something, she said. She went back to High Neighbor and did a couple of quick searches, then turned the computer toward me. There are cameras on all four sides of the guardhouse. Did you know that? I didn't. You think one of them might have caught something? Oh, worth checking, don't you think? I looked at the phone. I could call Rick, but it was Christmas night and I'd already dragged him out to Riverbend twice that day. I decided to let him rest. On Boxing Day morning, while many of my neighbors were out returning unwanted gifts, I walked over to Riverbend Clubhouse, where I knew the association's manager's secretary, Kay. She was a white-haired woman in her 60s, with red-framed glasses and a matching red beret. I explained what I wanted to do. I'll have to check with the manager, she said. She's on vacation till New Year's, uh, though I don't think I can reach her for a few hours. I'll be finished long before then, I said. Please, think about that little baby abandoned in a trash can. All right, I'll set you up. She led me into the manager's office and opened an app that let me view the security footage from the cameras on the guardhouse. It took a few minutes to figure out which camera I wanted and then to scroll backwards to Christmas morning. I hunched over and watched a half hour's worth of footage looking toward the cypress hedge. Then suddenly, there was movement and a heavy-set young woman in knee-length down jacket pushed her way through the hedge, carrying a bundle. The resolution wasn't good enough to see exactly what she was carrying, but I watched as the bundle caught on one of the cypress branches, and she had to tug it loose. She trudged forward, and as she got close to the guardhouse, though off to the right, I got a good look at her face. I recognized her. 
but I wasn't sure from where. Didn't matter. I called Rick and asked him to meet me at the clubhouse. As I waited, I kept staring at her. She was moon-faced with a white ball cap that covered her hair. When Rick arrived, I showed him the footage and Kay agreed to make a copy of the tape for him. Then I went back to the house. Eastern College, where I worked, was closed through New Year's, so I spent the day doing miscellaneous chores around the house. The young woman's face haunted me, and Rochester was anxious as well. Finally, late in the afternoon, I sat down on the floor beside him and rubbed his belly. What's the matter, puppy? Are you feeling sick? Do you want to go to see Dr. Bob? Dr. Bob ran a small veterinary practice a few blocks down Ferry Road from Riverbend, and Rochester usually didn't like to go there. The doctor and his staff were very kind and gentle, but there's something undignified about a stranger poking up your butt. Surprisingly, as soon as I said Dr. Bob, Rochester jumped up happily. That's when I knew what he was trying to tell me. I called Rick immediately. I recognize that girl, I said. She's a tech at the vet's office across from Riverbend. Dr. Bob's office? Rick asked. I haven't been there for a while, but Rascal's due for his annual visit soon. He blew out a short breath. <sighs> Guess I'll head over there now. Lily and I had just finished dinner when Rochester began barking madly. I know that bark, I said. I'll, I'll bet it's Rick. Sure enough, when I looked outside, I saw Rick's truck pulling up beneath the sparkle of my neighbor's holiday lights. How does he do that? Lily asked. You think the truck makes a particular sound? <laughs> He's a detective dog, I said. He knows things. When Rick came inside, he confirmed that the young woman, whose name was Barbara Diaz, worked at Dr. Bob's office. Because she was heavy, she was able to conceal her pregnancy from her co-workers and her family. She had started experiencing labor pains Christmas Eve and had driven herself to the office to look for pain pills and given birth there. She would cleaned up the office, then trudged over to Riverbend where she felt someone would discover the baby and take care of him. Then she had gone home and she was back at work on the day after Christmas, though Rick said she didn't look well at all. He had called an ambulance for her and had an officer stationed at the hospital to put her under arrest as soon as she was well enough. And the baby? She says she didn't know she could drop him off at the police station, Rick said. I spoke to the district attorney, and he said that if Barbara will put the baby up for adoption immediately... He'll consider reducing the charges against her. Rochester sat up beside me and nuzzled my leg. Rochester thinks that's a good idea, I said. This reading of Dog's Only Son was produced by King's River Life and directed by Lori Lewis Ham. You can learn more about the author on his website, mahubooks.com. Our theme song, The Blues, was written and played by Kevin Memley. For more mystery podcast fun, check out Comfy Cozy Podcast. Comfy Cozy is a podcast for traditional mystery enthusiasts. 
Your hosts are a mother-daughter team, Deb and Etta. Enjoy their antics as they review cozy mystery books and interview authors. Available wherever you podcast. Check out Kings River Life Magazine's websites for more mystery, local theater, animal rescue, and so much more. KingsRiverLife.com and KRLNews.com. Now, we'll be back next time with another mystery short story or mystery first chapter. Subscribe to our podcast to make sure you don't miss a single episode. Subscribe to our podcast newsletter to get special interviews with the authors of the podcast stories. And follow us on Twitter to keep up with everything KRL at Kings River Life. If you enjoy this episode, please rate or review it because this helps make us easier for others to find. If you'd like to help support this podcast and Kings River Life financially and get some fun perks, check out our Patreon page at patreon.com slash kingsriverlife. Until next time, this is your announcer, Jim Tuck, wishing you a life full of mystery. <laughs>